we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to look with me this morning into the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter number four. We've been in this passage in recent weeks, and uh, we've taken this theme that we find here in this passage. Well, the word of God tells us that we are to stand fast, stand fast. And our theme is standing firm, standing fast. That's what the word fast means here. We find it in verse number one. So stand fast in the Lord. We are to stand firm in this world in which we live. It's a pressure-packed world. It's a difficult time. And so may God help us as his children to stand fast. Now let's note this passage together. We'll read verses one through nine. I may pause uh, just uh, as we hit some of these verses and make a comment or two, and then we'll go forward. First of all, we note in verse number one, the Bible said, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast <coughs> in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Verse 2, I beseech Iodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. And so we find here that we are to stand fast. We're to stand fast together in partnership. We're standing not alone, but in partnership, we stand with the Lord. He is with us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we stand together with one another. Then in verse number four, we note that we're to stand fast in praise. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Uh, we are not to allow the world to rob us of our joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And if we're going to stand Firm, if we're going to stand fast, then we need our strength and we need the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is not based on our circumstances. It is based on the truth of who God is and what he has revealed to us. Then in verse number five, last week, we looked at this verse, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The word moderation speaks of our behavior, that it be fitting, that it be proper. And though we live in a world where there is a lot of improper behavior and a lot of things uh, seemingly uh, are coming apart and, and men have, and, and women have lost all civility, uh, we are not to conduct ourselves that way as Christians, and we're not to be caught up in the spirit of this age. So we're to stand fast in propriety as concerning our behavior. Now we come to verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Here we find that we're to stand fast in prayer. In fact, that's the title of the message this morning, Stand Fast in Prayer. Notice, if you would please, as we read verses 7 through 9, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard of and seen in me do. The God of peace shall be with you. Uh, we note that this passage gives us the key to standing fast in this pressure-packed world in which we live. And as we've already mentioned in verse number 6, we learn that if we're to stand fast, we must do so together in prayer. And so we are living in this anxious world. Uh, many people today are fearful, nervous, stressed. Uh, people are concerned uh, about China and Afghanistan and Russia. They're concerned about COVID and lockdowns and vaccine mandates. They're worried about inflation, jobs, bills, debt, and their savings. They're concerned about their relationships with family their marriages, their children, their parents, their neighbors, their friends. Uh, we live in a stress-filled world. Speaking of our fretful culture, Adrian Rogers said this. He said, the uneducated fret because they don't know enough. The educated fret because they know too much. The poor fret because they don't have any money. The rich fret because they're afraid they're going to lose what they have. The old fret because they're facing death, and the young fret because they're facing an unsure future. John MacArthur notes, we're living in an anxiety-ridden culture, and the amazing thing about it is this is the most indulged, the most lavish society ever. This is the most comfortable society ever. This is the society that has the most but it seems to be the most angst-ridden, anxious, stressed-out, panicked culture ever. We have a massive medical world that exists to do nothing but help people with stress. Speaking of this anxiety and stress, MacArthur goes on to say, it is so common that we don't even talk about eliminating it. The term we use is to manage it. You can take a course, go to a seminar, or listen to a lecture on stress management. But Jesus says, I'm not going to teach you how to manage your stress. I'm going to eliminate it. <laughs> but though we have this opportunity as believers to live free from worry, many of us do. And we find that it is a choice, just as if it is a choice to rejoice it's a choice whether or not we carry the burdens of our stressful world. In a recent article, in fact, I say recent, but it was published three years ago, dated May 8, 2018, uh, in Time Magazine. The headline is this, a lot of Americans are more anxious than they were last year. Almost 40% of Americans are more anxious than they were at this time last year, according to a, a new American Psychiatric Association poll. The poll found that 39% of citizens surveyed reported being more anxious than they were at this time last year. Another 39% said they were equally anxious, while only 19% said they were less anxious than last year. 
So here you have about 80% of the people in the country saying, I'm either stressed more or at least at the same level as I was last year. Now, remember, this poll uh, took place in 2018. Approximately 40 million American adults, roughly 18% of the population, have an anxiety disorder. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. I think I know a few members of that association. <laughs> Safety, health, and finances seem to be the greatest resources of anxiety. 68% of respondents say keeping myself or my family safe and my health made them either somewhat or extremely anxious. 67% said the same uh, of paying bills or expenses. In other words, their, their finances have got them under stress. 56% say politics, 48% say interpersonal relationships. As of December 2017, 63% of Americans said the future of the nation was a significant source of stress, and 59% felt that the United States is at the lowest point they can remember in history. Now, again, I want to I put all this in perspective. This was three years ago. Since then, we've had a pandemic, <laughs> and we've had civil unrest in our nation. And so an article dated May 26, 2020, and published in the Washington Post, has this headline, a third of Americans now show signs of clinical anxiety or depression. A recent CDC survey suggests a huge jump in cases of anxiety and depression since the beginning of the pandemic. The percentage of people reporting such symptoms was double to that found in a survey taken in 2014. So in seven years and with the pandemic, what the reports of the CDC are saying is that this, has, this problem has more than doubled. He said, those results reflect the deepening of existing trends, rising depression, stress, and suicide among young adults. Uh, Maria Okendo, a professor of psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, who helped in this study, says this, it's been a problem many have been studying with no clear answers. In other words, all of this uh, anxiety and stress, depression that people are experiencing is an increasing problem. It is increasingly impacting young people disproportionately than the way it is impacting older people. Older people living in the same world with the same circumstances uh, don't seem to be as stressed and as anxious as many of the younger people are. And so she says it's been a problem Many have been studying with no clear answers. Well, I, I think we have some answers, don't you? I, I think the answer is the fact that we're living in a nation that has turned its back on God, that has denied his existence, that has taught our young people uh, for many, many years that they are here as a result of some chaotic explosion that took place billions of years ago, and therefore now here they are. After they managed to climb out of the uh, primordial soup, and developed a tail and some legs, they finally began to learn how to walk, and now they're talking, and uh, they're enlightening all of us on how we're to live our lives. That's the teaching of this world. 
Not that you're made in the image of God, not that you're made with a purpose, but that you're just here and you're existing. And if you're going to have anything in life, you better get it now and enjoy it no matter what the cost. No wonder we live in a world filled with anxiety and stress. No wonder that our young people are suffering through these things. No wonder that many of us living in this world, though we know Christ, uh, deal with these pressures and stresses and oftentimes allow them to take us captive, to rob us of uh, the blessings of God. And this is what the Apostle Paul is dealing with here in Philippians chapter 4 when he says to us, be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You and I can stand fast. We can stand firm in this pressure-packed, anxious world as we learn to do so in prayer. I want to give you three thoughts this morning. I hope you'll write them down. I pray that God will use them in your heart. Number one, the relief we experience in prayer. The relief we experience in prayer. Notice what the Bible says again here in our text, verse 6, be careful for nothing. I am commanded by God not to be anxious, not to be troubled for anything. Now, I'm going to tell you that I have failed that this week. Have you? Have you found yourself anxious and troubled this week? I have. But God tells me in his word that I am to be free from anxiety and care. Now, I note some things about this I hope will be a help to you. First of all, I want you to notice this as you turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter number 6, and we'll begin reading in verse number 25. Here's what I want you to note this morning. Worry changes nothing. You don't see bumper stickers that say worry changes things, right? Worry changes nothing. Matthew 6 and verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. The disciples of Jesus, the multitudes who began to follow him early on in his ministry, what were they concerned about? They were concerned about their material needs. And the Lord is saying to them, don't be occupied, don't be troubled, don't be careful, don't be full of anxiety about your earthly needs, your physical needs. Now, they're important, but they're not the chief thing. Verse 27 of Matthew chapter 6, he says this, Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Which of you, by filling your heart and mind with anxiety and trouble and concern, can worry yourself into growing a foot and a half? (laughs) What a ridiculous notion, right? It really puts a lot of our worries in perspective. You can't change anything through your worry. Verse 34, Matthew chapter 6, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, in previous messages, I've asked you to take those uh, that passage and, un- and underline this expression many times, take no thought. I hope you've underlined it because that will help us understand what God's expectation is for us in this stress-filled, pressure-packed world. Worry changes nothing. It's futile. Here's the second thing I want you to note about worry. Worry cheats me of the blessings of God. 
Worry cheats me of the blessings of God. Psalm 127 in verse 2, let me read it for you. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Here's the picture in Psalm 127. It's of a worrisome person who, who, who's, who's concerned about their health and welfare. They rise up early. They sit up late. They eat the bread of sorrows, concerned and burdened about what could potentially come when all along they could be asleep. He giveth his beloved sleep. I don't know. I haven't studied insomnia lately, uh, but I know many people are affected by it. They can't sleep. And what often keeps them from sleeping? It is their fears. It is their worries. Do you know that God, God has promised us rest and there is rest in Christ. Worry cheats me of the blessings of God. Here's another one. Worry charges the faithfulness of God. Worry charges the faithfulness of God. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 29, the Lord said, and seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. Now he's giving a similar passage as, as what we read just a moment ago in Matthew 6 along the same lines, but he adds some commentary to it. He says, don't be concerned about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and how you're going to pay the bills and how you're going to make it next month. Don't live in that burden and be of a doubtful mind. What is he saying? When you are occupied with those thoughts, here's what's happening. Doubt has overtaken you. And what is it that you doubt? You doubt the ability of God. You see, if you know the Lord is your Savior, you have become a child of God. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. So as the sons of God, we're the children of God. He is our heavenly father. And our father knows what we have need of. And he has promised to meet our every need. So when we're filled with fear and worry and anxiety about what God is not going to do for us, when we try to plan our life and how we're going to make provision for the things we need as if God doesn't exist, then what we're doing is we're charging God foolishly. We're casting doubt upon his ability and on his faithfulness to us. Why is it that we insist on worry and we resist prayer? The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, casting all your care upon him. Notice this place, for he careth for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God cares for you? I want you to know he cares about what's going on at work. He cares about what's going on at home. He cares about those matters in your life that you think are trivial and insignificant, but yet they bother you. I want you to know God cares. And he's invited you and I to cast all of it on him. You see, worry changes nothing. It cheats me of the blessings of God. It charges the faithfulness of God. And then it chokes the fruitfulness of God's word. It chokes out the fruitfulness of God's word. In Matthew chapter 13, you have the parable of the sower. And the seed being sown is the word of God. And the seed is being sown into the hearts of men. And there are different kinds of ground. There's the good ground, and there's the wayside, the hard ground, and there's the rocky or stony ground, and there's the thorny ground. 
Well, here he speaks about the thorny ground, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 22. And what does he compare the thorns to? Well, let me read it for you, Matthew 13 and verse 22. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Here's what he's saying. He's saying those who receive the word of God, they receive it, they believe it, it begins to produce fruit in their lives. But as such, as it begins to produce fruit, here's what happens in the heart and mind of the person who has received it. They begin to wonder how in the world are they going to make it? And if they obey God, what's it going to cost them? Uh, what's going to happen as a result of their obedience? And they do not trust God enough to take care of the problem. They try to plan for the problem uh, with their own strength, their own ingenuity, their own initiatives, and they, they begin to reason in their mind why they should not obey the word of God. They begin to reason in their mind that although God says something very clear, very distinct, to them in the word of God, they just can't trust God with the results of that decision. And therefore, they have to change or manipulate the situation in order to get their desired outcome. I want you to know the Bible says when you do that, when you allow the cares of this world or the deceitfulness of riches to choke the word, it makes the word unfruitful in your lives. And so we find that we don't have to carry these burdens. We find that we don't have to worry. We find that worry is dangerous, and we find that there is relief for us in the midst of all of our pressures as we run to the place of prayer. I want to ask you this week, how, how often have you and I ran to the place of prayer? I want to tell you for me, not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. And it's available to us. It is a shelter in the time of storm. And friend, we're living in a stormy world. The winds are howling and, and, and the waters are, are falling hard. The waves are raging all around us. May God help us to find our shelter in the place of prayer, the relief we experience in prayer, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Let me give you a second thought this morning. And that is the requests we entreat for in prayer. The requests we entreat for in prayer. The word entreat just simply means to ask. To ask. The requests we bring to God. What we ask God to do in particular for us. You know, that's what prayer is. Prayer is communicating to God and prayer is asking God to intervene in our lives and to meet our needs. Now, let's look at the verse. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. I am to tell God what's on my heart. I am to tell God what I need. That's what the Bible tells me. Now, I know that God already knows what I need. But I am to tell him nonetheless. You see, because it's when I enter into that uh, intimacy, that communion of prayer, when I pour out my heart to God, God has the opportunity to speak to me and not only change my circumstances. That's what I'm asking him to do. But God can do a greater work by changing me. 
to help me put my circumstances in perspective, to see things from a heavenly viewpoint, not just from my selfish standpoint. You see, he says, in everything by prayer and supplication, let your, or with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So what am I to pray about? What am I to pray for? Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm to pray about everything. Everything. How many decisions have you and I made this week without a consideration of what God wants us to do? We spend our money. We use our time. We make important decisions that will affect our lives and our children. How often are we seeking God? The Bible says, in all thy ways, acknowledge him, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Lean not to thine own understanding. That's what we often do. Oh, I've got this figured out. No, no. The child of God is to lean upon his heavenly father. Lord, what will you have me to do? In everything, hey, in every need, in every circumstances, at all times, any moment, I have the wonderful opportunity to cast my care on him, to transfer it onto him. And when I begin to feel the weight of the burden of the stresses and anxieties of my life, I have an opportunity to fall on my knees and to transfer my care, the burdens that I have, onto Jesus. And thanks be unto God, he cares for me. He's the high priest. He's my high priest. Whoever liveth to make intercession for me. He is touched with the feeling of my infirmities. He cares about what I care about. He knows how weak and frail I am. He knows the struggles I have, the temptations I have. He knows the fears that I'm dealing with. He knows all the details of my life, and he cares, and he intercedes for me. In everything by prayer and supplication, the word supplication, is it speaks of my wants and my needs. As a parent, what do I need? I need wisdom. I need patience. As a spouse, what do I need? I, I, I need grace. I need love. I, I, I need wisdom. As an employer, I need wisdom. As an employee, I, I need strength and I need patience. and I need a lot of things, you see. Living in this world, I need provisions. I need protection. Uh, as I deal with my own sinful flesh and, and the temptations that overtake me, what do I need? I need that way of escape. I, I need to be strengthened with the word of God in the midst of my weakness and my frailty. In my sin, I need his mercy. In my weakness, I need his grace. And the only way that I will draw on those blessed benefits is to tell the Lord what I need and allow him to minister to me. And how am I to do so with thanksgiving? I'm to tell God what I need and at the same time express to him gratitude for what he's already given me. Now, I want to tell you, when I put my need in light of what he's already done, it's going to help me bring things into perspective, is it not? with thanksgiving he said well it's hard to be thankful when you're going through a difficult time well that may be true but you, you're commanded to do so nonetheless and here's what you're going to find that when you express that gratitude to god in the midst of your need it really brings your need into perspective and it also strengthens your faith in god 
because you begin to rehearse the blessings of God upon your life, then you recognize that, hey, the God who's been faithful to you all your life long is not going to fail you now. So give him thanks. Praying should always be accompanied by praise. All of our prayers are to be seasoned with thanksgiving. The Bible commands us to pray without ceasing and to pray with thanksgiving. Ephesians 5, verse 18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God. Thanks for all things? Thanks at all times? Yes, that's what God says, giving thanks. Well, there's a lot of good things to be thankful for. I, I, it's easy to give thanks then, isn't it? But what about in your need? What about in your need? When you get that bank statement, when you get that unexpected bill, when you get that news from the doctor, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as I express my concerns, my needs, my fears, my desires, I am to be reminded of all that the Lord has done for me, and I am to express my gratitude to him for just a few of the following things. How about his love? For God so loved the world, God so loved you. You know, there's no word in the English language that can express the depths of God's love. So the translators just said it this way, God so loved you. He so loved you that he gave. He made a sacrifice for you, didn't he? He gave his only begotten son. Think about that. The son of God, the one who spoke this world into existence, became a man without ceasing to be God. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And then at the end of that life, at the appointed time, he gave up his life. He laid down his life. He suffered an awful, painful, dreadful, shameful death. And the separation that he uh, experienced uh, in that moment on the cross when he and his father, who had been joined together in perfect harmony for all eternity, in that moment were separated because he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. What a sacrifice. Oh, we can thank him for that, can't we? We can thank him for the salvation that he provided. We can thank him for the prayers and the supplications that he makes for us as he is seated at the right hand of the Father where he ever liveth to make intercession for us. We can thank him for the access that we have to come boldly into his presence, into the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy, that we might find grace to help in the time of need, that at any moment I can go to him in prayer and he will always hear my petition. I can thank him for that access. I can thank him for the supply that he has to meet my every need. I can thank him that all the promises of God in Christ Jesus in him are yea and amen. I can thank him for the revelation that he's given to me through his word. I can thank him for the comfort that he extends to me. I can thank him for his mercy. I can thank him for his grace. I can thank him for his truth. I can thank him for all the wonderful gifts he's given me. I'm here as a rich man before you this morning with a, a wonderful wife and children and uh, faithful parents, one in heaven. Uh, I have no siblings, but my kids do. I got a lot of siblings, though, in all of you, right? 
My mother has two siblings she never met. They've both died at childbirth, but they're there with my grandparents in heaven, and one day we'll meet all of them. What a wonderful gift God's given us. Something to look forward to, isn't it? Friends. The richness of friendship, true friends. Fellow believers. How about a church? All the blessings of the church. God has given us faithful pastors and teachers, evangelists, missionaries, so much more. You see, every good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow turning. Oh, God is a giver of gifts, and we can thank him. And when we need more gifts, we can go to the giver of gifts, and he will meet our needs. You see, here we find the requests we entreat for in prayer. We're to make these known unto God. We're to ask, what did James say? He said, ye have not because ye ask not. Oh, friend, think of the things that we're missing because we have not asked. May God help us to ask him. That leads me to a third thought, and that is the resources we enjoy in prayer. The resources we enjoy in prayer. Everybody wishes they had a rich uncle, right? You're just hoping one day you get the letter from the attorney's office and you find out you've inherited it all, man. And then all your troubles will be over, right? I want you to know you got something better than a rich uncle, you got a rich father. And not only is he rich in wealth, but he's rich in power. And he's rich in wisdom. And you see, he's rich in love. He loves you with an everlasting love. He knows what's best for you. That's that wisdom. And he has the ability and the power and the resources to supply exactly what you need. Now, sometimes, you know, James said, you have not because you ask not. And he said, sometimes you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss. You miss the mark in what you're asking for. You think you need something, but the something you think you need is not really what you need. So through the processes of prayer and the difficulties of life and the faithful instruction of the word, you're going to learn how to ask on target. And when you ask on target, if you ask Jesus said, anything in my name that's with my authority and with my approval, I'll grant it to you. You see, here's what we find. We have all the strength and power and resources that we need because when we pray, we let our requests be made known unto God, don't miss that. You can talk to God anytime you want to. I'm so convicted. Because I know how much time I talk to God and how much time I talk to people. I think my life would be far better if I'd learned to talk to God more than I talk to people. 
People may sympathize. People may care. But nobody sympathizes and cares like Jesus. And unlike people, he has the ability to change my life and my circumstance. So why is it that we insist on worry and we resist prayer? Because prayer affects change. Prayer changes things. When you pray, do you know what you're doing? You're placing your needs in the hands of a mighty God. And prayer does what God can do. And let me ask you, what can God do? Anything. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee. And show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Do you know that prayer opens the door to great and mighty things? Prayer. Uh, Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able. Hey, God is able. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. I want to tell you, our God is a powerful God. Do you know he spoke this universe into existence? Just his word. Let there be. And there was. And it was good. And it was perfect. God spoke this universe into existence through the power of his word. And do you know that when we pray, we come before that mighty, powerful, omnipotent, omniscient being who loves us, and we ask him to intervene in our needs. James 5, verse 16. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That means it gets a whole lot done. If you want change in your life, if you want God to change people, if you want God to change circumstances, and most importantly, if you want God to change you, then you and I need to learn how to pray. Prayer affects change. Prayer encourages confidence. Let me read Matthew or Luke chapter 11 and verse 9. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. What a wonderful promise. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? If you need bread and you went to your father, or if your son came to you, said, Dad, I'm hungry, I, I need some bread, would you give him a rock? Uh, right now, Bennett's favorite food is pimbar sandwich. Pimbar sandwich. Pop pimbar sandwich. So I made Bennett a peanut butter sandwich on bread, not on a rock, <laughs> on bread. Why did I do it? Because it's my grandson. I love him. So I'm going to give him a peanut butter sandwich. If he shall ask, verse 12, an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? I think I'll have a scrambled egg. Well, how about a couple scorpions? <laughs> Jesus said, if ye then being evil know to give good gifts unto your children, how much more 
shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask. Hey, I want to tell you that the Lord said, I'll meet your needs. He said concerning those, um, those birds of the field, those uh, the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, he said, are you not much better than they? And the answer is yes, you are. Because unlike them, you're made in the image of God. Unlike them, not only has he created you, but he has redeemed you through his blood. And when I pray, it encourages my confidence because I know what a good and glorious heavenly father I have. Philippians 4.19, but my God, is he your God? The psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see, if you don't have a shepherd, you're in need. And your greatest need this morning is your sin. The forgiveness of your sin. You're separated from God. And the only way you can be redeemed to God, reconciled to God, the only way that you can enjoy the forgiveness of sin and experience a, an eternity in heaven with him is to be united with him by faith, to confess that you're a sinner, to confess that Jesus is the son of God who died for you, who went to the cross and made that payment for your sin and who on the third day rose again and offers eternal life to you. And if you haven't had that matter dealt with, if you haven't received that forgiveness, I implore you today to come to Jesus. He offers salvation to all. For whosoever believeth in him should not perish. He come to prevent you from perishing but have everlasting life. You can receive that life today by asking Christ to forgive you of your sin and saving you. In just a moment, we'll have a hymn of invitation. We'll invite you, if you'd like to come and receive Christ as Savior, to come and meet with someone who will take the Bible and show you from the Word of God how you can be saved today. I hope you'll do that. As a believer, as a child of God, do you find yourself burdened loaded down with the stresses and pressures of this life i want you to know there's relief it's found in jesus it's experienced in prayer when we cast our burdens to him i want you to know that there are requests specific needs that we can give to god that we can entreat him for and he cares for us and he knows what we need and then i want you to know that there are resources that we can enjoy from him in prayer. May God help us to cast our cares upon him, for he careth for us. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.